Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight's show, I think, is going to be very interesting. It really is taking up a topic that was discussed on this station, but not in my show. And we're going to take that up in a minute. It's about fish, and we're taking that up in a minute. And then I'm also going to go back in Sashem to discuss some of the issues of davening that we started last week. So those, that's the program here, and if you'd like to reach us at the studio, if you have any questions, just give me a little while to get into it, and then you can call, but scribble down the number, 718-683-5858. You can start texting right now, 347-927-8398. The telephone to call again, 718-683-5858. Let me just tell you what happened uh, during the week, I was listening to J-Root for about uh, five minutes. That was about all I had at that time. And uh, the, I, I caught a few minutes of one of the shows. It was interesting that somebody asked a question, and somebody who was on the show answered the question, and I wanted to discuss the answer that he gave. The question was about whether f- fish gelatin and meat can be mixed together. Was there any problem using fish gelatin together with meat? Now, gelatin, we understand, comes from a fi- either a fish or an animal, and, it's, and it's, so it's a fish product. And can you use that together with meat, the gelatin itself together with meat? So I, I, I researched it a little bit. I was interested in the topic. I even think somebody asked a question on my show, but I didn't remember exactly what I answered or when it, how long ago it was. But I wanted to see what, what people said about this topic, and I asked a certain very hush of a rub who I ask Shiloh of, and not my regular Rebbe, but somebody that I talk and learning with on very important topics. And he told me that he can't see any difference between fish gelatin and fish. Mixing it together would be the same problem. We have a minig not to mix, maybe more than a minig, but, but uh, I think most people still don't mix fish and meat together. Well, this should also be fish and meat. But when I looked around, I, I wanted to see what the other people in the cautious field were saying, and it was very, very interesting. I want to share with you. I'm going to give you a little bit of the information from the Star K, the OU, and the CRC in Chicago. So I think it's going to be uh, a very interesting and eye-opening piece. Now we are familiar, all of us, with the idea of gelatin. Gelatin is derived from the bones, the skin of an animal. And it's in the fish, it could be derived from the skin or the bones or the, uh, or the scales. That's very interesting to me when I saw the fins and the scales. Interesting, right? Yeah, the fins and the scales could produce this gelatin. And fish gelatin has become very popular lately. The, the real issue about gelatin, well, I'm not going to go into the whole topic today because like that would take a long time. And I don't want to get lost in the topic. I want to get into this fish issue. But the basic issue about gelatin is, what is gelatin? It's collagen. It's coming from these parts of the animal. But really, what is it? It's a fibrous, insoluble protein that makes up a majority, a major portion of bone, skin, and connective tissue. And when you, when you suck it, when you, you know, you put, get it out of those uh, the skin or the bones, so that that gives you a certain amount of ability to hold things together. So we know a jello, it holds it together. If you remember pacha, I don't know how many people eat it anymore, but pacha, or maybe you, you, even when you cook uh, uh, a gefilte fish, 
in the, in the jar or the can of the fish, you see the gelled st- stuff inside. That's coming from this uh, collagen, which we, you know, which we're using uh, to make the gelatin. So it actually does gel in its normal state. It's doing that gelling. And obviously, that's what people want. If you had a marshmallow without gelatin, it would just be wishy in your hands. It wouldn't be anything. No one would be interested in it. The whole hop of, of the, of the uh, marshmallow is that it's uh, soft, but it has a certain hardness to it. That's the gelatin that's making that hardness. So originally, they only made, uh, they only made marshmallows with real gelatin from animals. That was the way it was done for all the years. And it produces a very much harder product than the one with the fish gel. It is a little wobbly. It's not as strong. It's all based upon a thing called bloom. Every gelatin has a certain level of bloom. And the bloom is what gives it that power to, uh, to be a holding power. So the fish gelatin was a low bloom. And uh, beef gelatin was a high bloom. And every run would be a different level of bloom. And people have to report that bloom, and that is what, on the basis of that is what they get their sales because uh, some people want a very high bloom, and they're only going to purchase very high bloom. So this is the way it is in the industry. Now, when they're making the, 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 the somehow, I don't know how, they either got the strength of the fish gelatin up or they decided to take a weaker product. In any event, it's very popular in the, in the kosher world to get fish gelatin in the marshmallows. So the question tonight, really, uh, if you want to simplify it, is can you use marshmallows at a fleshika meal? Uh, if you're having it from fish gelatin, of course, if it's from beef gelatin and it's kosher, so then you have no problem. You may have a problem using it with milk products, but with the, with the meat products, you have no problem. But with the fish and the meat, where it's an issue of sakana, it's a danger, as it's brought down in Shulchan Aruch in Kuf Yud, sorry, Kuf Tezayin, which is 116 in Yeridea. And over there, it talks about the danger of the fish and the meat together. And this is basically been kept up all the years, although there are some who say that it's changed. And I understand that. They have reasons why they think that it has changed. Uh, and, and not, I'm not uh, discounting those uh, th- those reasons. Some of the reasons why people feel it has it's changed today is that, according to some poiskim, and we're talking about the Morgan of Rome and the Shuvis Chamsam Soifer, they deal with the question of whether the nature of foods has changed today. That's a serious Morgan of Rome, serious poisek Shuvis Chamsam, very serious. Uh, the the Morgan of Rome is in. Uh, in, in Orachayim, Kuf, uh, Ayin, Gimel, Siv Aleph, and the Siv Katan Aleph, and the Chasam Soifer is in Chelik Aleph, uh, Kuf Aleph. Okay, so that's if you want, you want their uh, sources over there. So that's the some, so those they held that the nature of the foods has changed today, and we don't have a danger in fish and meat together. Others say that there's another hetter because uh, the, 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 and even though the Gemara records the danger of fish and meat, it only is talking about a thing called benita. And that was, un- it was unhealthy, but who knows all the fish are unhealthy or they're only mentioning this benita. The Pischei Tshuva takes that up. And Yoridea, Kuftaz Zayin, Sif, Ois Gimel. But that Pischei Tshuva, you got to spend 
a few hours on because everybody argues in that Pesca Chuba. Some are saying this and some are saying that. Some are saying it's not existing anymore, this problem. Some are saying that it's not Bottle Bashishim. Some it is Bottle Bashishim. Everything you want to know about this topic, you're going to find in that Pesca Chuba. It's a nice size Pesca Chuba. A third reason why some people are lenient is they say that the unhealthy aspects of the fish being cooked with the meat are only in the flesh of the fish, not in the skin and the scales and the bones. That's what some people say. And then there's a fourth one is that the gelatin may not have a fish flavor. It doesn't have, so therefore, since gelatin is like so. It doesn't have a flavor from fish. It won't smell the fish in it. So therefore, it won't carry the, that harmful effect that the, to the, that the fish carry into the meat. So for these reasons, there, are, there may, it, it, uh, what the Star K says, for these reasons, it may be acceptable to use products containing fish gelatin with meat. So according to them, I'm not going to, you have to ask them what they say, because I'm reading the article here, by Rabbi Avram Mushel, Mushel, who was uh, an administrator, one of the administrators, conscious administrators at the Star K, and he wrote, I'll quote it again, for these reasons, it may be acceptable to use products containing fish gelatin with meat, or use the same reasoning to allow products containing animal gelatin with fish. So this is the, the position of the Star K seems to be in a lenient way, in this whole topic about the gelatin, but there's more to the t- there's more to it than we, we mentioned already, and we're going to go on a little bit. The, by the way, the word gelatin comes from a Latin word galatus, which means stiff or frozen. So, and the, and Bloom comes from the name of a man Oscar T. Bloom. He got the name. He got his name into the game in terms of the, uh, you know, how how strong the uh, gelatin is in doing its job. Now, now, there's a big topic when you get to the question about regular gelatin from beef. There are those who hold that the OU definitely holds this way that gelatin from beef is parva even though it came from an animal, but it didn't come from the meat of the animal. It came from the skin or the bones, but it didn't come from the animal's flesh. And they held that it's not considered to be flesh, it's considered to be parva. So that, 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 that shows a little bit where we're, where we're headed. Uh, because of that, the OU uses beef gelatin together with yogurts and other milkica products in, that they make. And then you'll see the ingredients, beef gelatin, you'll see the dairy ingredients mixed right in there, and that's, that's their position. And how do they get to that one is a little bit interesting. Um, I, they, I don't want to go into all of it, because if you read the article, it's called Getting Into the Thick of Things. That's the article from the Star K, and you'll find it on their website, Getting Into the Thick of Things. But here goes into an interesting aspect about the Ramah. I'm not going to go into tonight right now. And they also quote Ramesha. Ramesha in Yeridea Chelek Aleph, uh, the tshuva was uh, Lamed Zion. He says the uh, animal hides are not considered to be meat. And if they're dried and processed, the resulting gelatin from these 
is not included in this rabbinic prohibition. Therefore, gelatin produced from kosher slaughtered animal hides can be intentionally used with milk. That's the position that Moshe held. Some opinions disagree with Ramosha Feinstein, including Rav Aaron Cutler. Now, although Rav Aaron Cutler, it, it was quoted to me by Rabbi Shimon Ida from Rav Aaron Cutler that he held that the, the gelatin is parva. He held, he said, he he quoted Rav Aaron Cutler. He was a Talmud from Rav Aaron Cutler and from Rav Moshe. And he, and he quoted uh, Rav Aaron Cutler as saying that it was a parva thing. He was also involved in the Bartons when they made that kosher gelatin many, many years ago, about 50 years ago or so. But in any event, at least this article is quoting Varen Cutler, says that gelatin, which comes from hides, is considered meat. Okay, this uh, this machalikus because I told you Rabbi Adi doesn't he didn't hold that way he held Aaron held differently but I'm quoting this article so I have to be mechalev Rabbi Michelle because he got it from wherever he got it he didn't hear from Rabbi Aaron probably directly however he heard it so he heard it so obviously the split in how you understand Rabbi Aaron anyway it says however there's room for leniency when dealing with gelatin that's derived from kosher hides because the gelatin has little or no taste therefore. It's basically it's a it can be nullified in parva ingredients because uh, with, because it, 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 it would make it a parva product. So even if it, you don't call it this or you call it that, it's bottle. That's the that's the position that uh, they were explaining. Ravaran to explain that to uh, that it should be mutter also. Anyway, be that as it may, we have a position from the star K. I'll read it again. For those reasons, it may be acceptable to use products containing fish gelatin with meat or use the same reasoning to allow products containing animal gelatin with, with fish. Again, it doesn't say that they say there's no fish and meat issue. It says it may be acceptable, whatever that means, but that's certainly a pretty strong statement. On the other hand, I have an article from Rav David Cohn who is not the Rav David Cohn that's in Flatbush that many people know, but another Rav David Cohn who's a very chasher person, works for the CRC in Chicago. The man is very good. I'll tell you the secret of why he's so good, because, I mean, aside from who he is and everything, I may know him very well, but he, he, he worked for the OU for many years, working closely with Rav, uh, Rav uh, by, uh, Belsky Zatzal, with Rav Shachter, and dealing with the psukim that are going on in the OU. So the, he, he was the one who researched everything, was on top of it. So uh, not a poisic himself, he's the next best thing. He's a, he's a repository of amazing information. And what can I tell you? The Chicago is very lucky to have him, and we miss him over here. And so anyway, Rabbi Cohn says the following. There are three areas which all of us tie into with the fish. That's very interesting. The first one is Worcestershire sauce. Don't ask me to spell it, but I know how to spell it. If you know how, if you know how to spell Worcester, like in Worcester, Massachusetts, a part of my family comes from there. If you know how to spell Worcester, that's it. And, and then the Shire is S-H-I-R-E. So Worcestershire sauce is a barbecue sauce, and it, it, in many cases it's labeled fish. Like the OU, OU fish. What does that mean? That means there's a significant amount of fish in the Worcestershire sauce. And you know why it's, they have to say, they do say that? Because they don't want you to cook, cook it with meat. So that's, a, you know, the CRC is saying, you know, we're going to notify people that it's fish because they, they may not want to cook it together with meat, even though some would say they could, but many people don't. So they, 
an authentic Worcestershire sauce is going to say OU or kosher fish. That's what it's going to say. But there's a new way that they're making it today. Most of the companies got away from the old way of making. Everything's changed, right? The world's changing every minute, right? So the new way of making Worcestershire sauce, if anybody wants to go into the business, they take a fermented fish taste when they mix in a chemical flavor and in deference to traditionalism, they still put a little bit of the anchovies, the fish, in also. Basically, they don't need it. It's all imitation. Again, they take fermented fish taste and they mix that with a chemical flavor and then they put a little bit of fish in so that people will say, ah, Worcestershire sauce, it always has anchovies. But the amount of it is there is very, very, very small. That's, that's the way it's being made to that, now. And then a lot of people will no longer list it on the label. The OU will not list it on the label if it's Batal Bashishim. If it's not, not Batal Bashishim, they'll say OU fish. If it is Batal Bashishim, they won't say that it's fish in there. You might see the ingredients fish, and you say, oh, why didn't you mention it? They said, we hold Bittal Bashishim. It's not going to be considered a, a, a sakana for you. But this thing about Bittal Bashishim for fish is not so simple because if you, when you learn it up, you go back to that, that what, I, what I told you to go to before, the Pisgah Tshuva over there in Kuf Tez Zion, Sif Ois Gimel. So with that, in that Pisgah Tshuva, he brings down, he starts off, they start off over there with the Behetev and the, and the, and the, and the Taz, and he quotes the Darkei Moshe. The Darkei Moshe was where Moshe Isilis, the Ramor, is being quoted, and he's quoting the, he's quoting, uh, the Maril. This is very authoritative, and they hold there's no Bittel Bashishim in fish and meat because the Sakana does not go with numbers like that. That's a halacha. That's a halacha that Chazal put together and, and has to deal with tam, etc. But sakana doesn't go with taste. And therefore, there's no bitl b'shishim at all. That's what the Ramor held. That's what the Maril held. Of course, there are mekilim. As I told you, that Pesach is filled with people on both sides. But anyway, we got the feel of what's going on here. So some people would say that the OU is correct in doing that. And, and the others would say, we don't think you should do that. But the OU will tie that it'll say on the outside fish. It'll say anchovies. You're supposed to know an anchovy is a fish. And if you don't know an anchovy is a fish, they hold bitl bashishim works. So that's how it's being handled, let's say, with the OU. I suppose any of the organizations they have to deal with that issue themselves. Now, some ashkochas take the lenient point of view, and as I said, then they consider it's no problem uh, that uh, they're going to say, and, and, and they're, they're going to say, uh, they allow such products to be labeled as kosher parva, and others say no. Uh, the, 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 even the smallest amount of anchovies is going to be considered OU, uh, kosher fish. You can't label it parva. Parva meaning you could mix it with anything because it's not parva. It's fish. It has a designation, and you know according to the Ramor and the Maril and the Machmirim, so therefore it's a problem. So this is where the world is at. Come now to fish oil. I, I can't take a call now. They'll have to call back in 10 minutes. Not, now come to fish oil. Fish oil is very interesting. Everybody knows about it. Omega-3, fish oil, right? Everybody knows about it. And Baruch Hashem, there are kosher, kosher varieties. You should only be buying kosher because it's so easy to get. That's not Okay, it may cost you a little bit more, I admit. It may cost a little more. First of all, you should know that... 
that fish oil is not what it used to be thought to be. Most of the doctors are getting away from it now. So you discuss it with somebody who knows the, the science and the, and the medicine today, whether or not you should be taking uh, omega-3 uh, fish oil. Uh, if they tell you to do it, fine. But what's happening today is that this omega-3 is getting itself into orange juice, into bread, into butter substitutes, into dairy products, into breakfast cereal. They're putting this fish oil in. Now, just like we said before, the, the Wichita sauce, the oil typically is used in very tiny amounts. And it's, again, a machlaikas, whether or not it's bottle in the orange juice, in the bread, in the, uh, the cereals, whether, they're, whether it's bottle or not. Because the child will become with flesheks. Of course, you don't cereal and not so much with the flesheks unless you're doing some breading on top of a piece of meat or chicken. But uh, the, other, or the other situation would come up more often with the, it drinking the orange juice or the bread, but eating the bread together with the fish or whatever, I mean, and the meat. So therefore, definitely, there's a, a shyly here and that you have to get paskin, whether or not to be concerned of where there is bitl bashishim, whether you have to be worried about this issue of Sakana. You have to ask your rov. Anyway, most consumers know that anchovies are fish, but they're not aware that the omega-3 fatty acids that come from, uh, that, that, that come from fish are, are fish. They just see the word omega-3 fatty acids on the side. They don't realize the source of it, and they're not required by law to put it on the outside. So, the, the concern is whether or not we have to notify the public, especially if it's bottle bashishim. And that's, a, that's an issue that the different conscious agents have to deal with. But now we come to our friend, the marshmallow, ah, the Heliger marshmallow. Everybody, everybody loves marshmallows. Let's face, let's face a fact. I mean, uh, it could be somebody never saw one, he doesn't, he doesn't have an opinion, but I would, say, I would say a very high percentage of people enjoy the marshmallows. So marshmallows are new because it was a problem years ago. We, we, we were only getting tray for gelatin. But now we have it. And we're getting, uh, we're getting from the uh, fish. Now the question is, can I eat the marshmallow with meat? So here is what the CRC in Chicago is saying about the matter. He said, meat-based gelatin isn't flaschic. And therefore, you can use it in the kosher yogurt. That's why I mentioned, though, he was doing that. But fish-based gelatin is fishy and can't be eaten with meat. And that's, that's the thing. It's fish. It's a fishy issue. And it's, as we don't know how this, the thing works. And therefore, we're suggesting, at least the CRC in Chicago is suggesting, you can't have it together with meat. And here's a quote. There's a surprising fact is that in marshmallows, gelatin can be as much as 5% of the marshmallow. Halakhically, that's too significant to be ignored. And therefore, the marshmallows have the status of being fish and not suitable for eating with meat. For some sophisticated chefs, this raises an issue, as it means they shouldn't create dishes that call for marshmallows and meat. It's the opinion of the CRC in Chicago, not the way the Star K does. Now, the OU. The OU says like this. I'm taking just a few lines. He says, the OU has an article, how a product from beef can be used in dairy delicacies. So he says, uh, 
one of the reasons they say is that gelatin extraction process causes the skins and the bones to be denatured to the point that they're no longer considered to be food. It, this is not the mainstream position. It's been rejected by every major kosher certifying agency. So in terms of beef gelatin, we're not going to be makel and say that you don't have to worry about getting it from trafer sources. We only get from kosher. But when you come to the kosher fish gelatin, which comes from the skins and the bones, and so they have fins and scales. We're getting only from kosher fish. So he says, the, uh, the variety of beef-derived gelatin is considered parva and may be combined with dairy ingredients. Although kosher laws are very strict concerning the segregation of milk and meat, the processing of these hides renders them parva. Therefore, kosher milk chocolate, kosher milk, even kosher milk chocolate delicacies can be made using kosher beef gelatin. So that's the position of the OU. Um, in the fish gelatin, I don't know if they answer the question about whether or not you could meet it, you could mix it together with the uh, whether you could mix it together with the meat. I don't see it discussed in this article. Maybe it's in some other place. But in other words, we see that there's a split. So this is something I'm sending everybody back to the drawing board, and you have to ask the your own rov. Do I have to separate my fish gelatin, which means my marshmallows from my meat, or can I prepare meals that have meat or chicken using marshmallows either directly with the meat or being served together at the table at the same time? And, uh, and I would suggest that everybody get a psak, and anybody wants to share with me some of the information that they derive from it, I'd be very happy to hear from you. You can contact us at 718-336-8544, or you can reach me directly with my email address, kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOA. And now I have someone who's been waiting very patiently. I think it's still there. I hope so. We'll find out. <laughs> Hello, you're on the air. Hello. Go ahead. You're on the air. Yeah. Do you have to check for the flower seeds? Again, with sunflower seeds, we discussed things before. All these things with the seeds, if you don't see any signs that there was any nibbling of an of a insect, then you could see that visually. Those if they're open, the seeds. But if they're not open, they're closed. So you have to look at the shells. If you see what could be a little nibbling, then you have to be concerned. Maybe throw those away. Maybe open them up and check them. But... It's only if you see some signs of some nibbling from uh, either animals or insects. But regularly... I, I have to check them. I can't just eat them like a mouth. I can't eat potato chips. You can, you can put them in your mouth, but you first roll, them, roll them on your hand, and you see them, and throw. And if you're, and if you're happy that they, you don't think there's anything that got in there, then you can put them in your mouth. But if you see they're open, so you, maybe something is inside it, then you can't eat it. But that's a smart thing to do anyway, right? Even even if you would see a hole in a in a fruit, you would you, you would be worried maybe something's inside. So that's what we tell you to do. It's something I didn't make this up. But yes, so, you so, could. So putting, I have to you have to check them to see if there's a little nibbling inside. I can't just eat them like potato chips. 
You can eat them like potato chips if you put them in. You got to get them. You got to get it. Without the shells, you know? But you got to get it. I didn't talk about the shell. You're doing it in the shell and you're breaking it in your teeth. But the point is, they're in a bag. So I'm not telling you to do anything in the, in the kitchen. Shake it on your hand, take a, a visual look, and, uh, and then you'll decide yourself. If you want, once or twice you'll experiment by putting it on a white plate and looking around and playing around a little bit, and you'll have a better idea. But we're not, we're not slowing you down too much. You could do just as really If I just let you put like a handful on my hand, then I see nothing's there. I have to check more of the bag or, or I no, know I would if do I see that. a handful of that. there. I, I would do that. I would do that th- straight through. I would do it. And if you well, really want to, if you want to be like you're talking about, it depends how big the big the bag is. If the bag is just enough for uh, three or four uh, the handfuls, you know, three or four times you're going to throw it in your mouth. So then it's a small bag, and I think you have to check the whole bag. But if you have a big bag and you've checked a lot of it and you feel some confidence, this is something I can't I can't legislate. It's not. This is not what we call black and white. This is a gray area. You're a big tzaddik for asking. I very much appreciate it. You should know that you have a lot of Yerushimayim. And you, you, yes, you have to take a look. And if you want to, you get your father and mother to buy a safer called, uh, it's called, uh, what is it called again? Bedikas um, Hamazon by Rabbi Vaya, V-A-Y-E. It's a $25 book. And you have that book. It'll show you pictures and you'll see the little bugs and how they got into, the, into the, these different things. And you'll see the sunflower seeds there, nice picture of it, and you'll be able to get a better idea of how to look at it. So, yeah, keep up the Yerushimayim. I, I give you a, a lot um, of credit. Yeah. So I don't have to check them. I, don't, I, don't, I could just put a handful in my hand, and if I see, like, most of the handful doesn't have any holes type of thing. No, if you, if you I see don't have to check the but, rest. No, but if you... No, I want you to check it all if it's a small bag. If it's a big bag and you've checked a few handfuls, make a chazaka, but not on a small, small bag. And as far as the, the ones you find with the holes, don't eat them. You know, if you want to get home, you, you, you break it open and check it with your fingers, see what it looks like, see if there's anything in there. And then uh, you can always eat it once it's open if, it's, if there's nothing in there. Okay? Okay. Yeah, and what about pistachios? Pistachio nuts you, uh, that, have been, that have been, you're not talking about raw, are you? You're talking about what the ones in the shelves, like sunflower seeds, one in the shelves. So they've been salted already. They've been cooked already, baked already. Salted I, and roasted, yeah. I have no, I don't see anything in there ever. Doesn't mean there is never, it could be, but I have never seen anything ever in the pistachio. I would tell you um, not to worry unless you see a sign of anything having gotten in. Pistachios have been, have been roasted. And, and, and now, you, now, cashews are bad news because cashews are filled with bugs. So, yes, you do have to check cashews, even though it's a little inconvenient. But pistachios, I, I don't think you have to do anything but open up and enjoy them. Unless you well, see something. But sunflowers are also roasted. I know, but it okay. seems to be that sunflower seeds have a high, a high percentage of this. Take a look at the book. If you get a chance, Bidika Samazo, and if you don't have it and your parents don't buy it, Go ask your Rebbe or somebody or a Rav or something. Take a look at the book. It has the pictures in there. It'll educate you. Keep asking questions. You're, you're doing the right thing. Thank you very much. Hello? Okay. Yes, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes. Um, I'd like to inquire about the Osem Kosher Pesach uh, egg matzahs. I'd like to know the, the bracha. It says here that there's um, apple juice, but I don't know exactly how much. I called the number here, and they said they, they don't know about it. Well, I can't answer the question without 
No, there's an OU, so I figured no. maybe you'd know. The OU, you'll call the OU. But, but, but me, I'm not the OU. So what, what, I'll just try to explain to you. There, it does say apple juice, but does it say water? Of course it says water. And maybe it says water first. Maybe it says apple juice first. I don't know what it says. The problem with I this is check. to create, to create, you, it's a very delicate thing. People want to make a certain taste. In, in bread, I would say most of the Mazonas bread is not really Mazonas bread. But in this thing, it's very, very likely that they put a lot of juice in. But the problem with juice is it's usually reconstituted. So you're dealing with a lot of water. So it's always a problem if you look at this as, if you look at this as, as May Peros, what you're talking about, we make it Mazonos. It doesn't say really anything about water here. That's interesting. It because, says because wheat they have, flour. Right, but they have to have And water. pure apple juice and eggs. Right, pure apple juice. But look at the bottle of apple juice in your refrigerator or in your, your, your closet or in the store, and you'll see that it says reconstituted. Most of it's reconstituted, which means it used water. So I can't tell you the percentages. They, don't, they wanted it to taste a little sweet. They don't want it to taste too sweet. It shouldn't taste like a piece of sugar. No one wants to eat sugar. They want to eat that should be close to a matzah, but not really a matzah. I, I was sitting with us. Uh, I mean, we have a swadi right here. But I was sitting with a swadi at a, at a, uh, uh, it was a, it was a, uh, in the shul. They had a, a neila sachag. And uh, the, the young man uh, said uh, he can't wash because they, all, they have is, uh, all, they, all they have is these rolls. And he's, and he's worried that the rolls, the, you know, the, the, these, uh, these little rolls are, are really mizonot. They're not, mizo, not, not, not hamotzi because they're too sweet or, or they're not too sweet. If they're sweet enough, then it's going to be uh, mizonot. And if it's going to be not so sweet, it's going to be hamotzi. And the Svartim have a different approach towards it than the Ashkenazim. The Ashkenazim are, uh, you know, are, are more liberal about it than the Svartim are in terms of whether, whether it's Mazonis or not. So, the, so uh, the, we were there, and we were saying it's, it's hamotzi. He says, but uh, taste this one over here. It's a, it's a, uh, it, was a was it? it was a, um, it was like a, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was, it was an egg hal. An egg challah. So by Ashkenazim, we're always making hamotzi on egg challah. But right. this Vadi said, it's too sweet. I hold it's a mo- it's, a, it's mizonot. I don't know if I can make hamotzi now. So I have a shayla. So he made one of us taste it. And then after we tasted it, one of the people said, no, this is hamotzi. Oh, then he could wash. So and we, mm-hmm. we had a, but it's funny because we're not used to the, that question. Now, these things. Uh, yes. There so is, how would I find out about the because we um, want to use it for actually for Mizonos these matzos. Okay, you have to call the OU, and mm-hmm. the what, OU, what number? Should I, because I could, there was a number on this box. No, 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 and no. And they, they don't, they don't no, know. No, 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 no. <laughs> Listen to me. The OU was w- w- which company was it? Osem. Osem, it, yeah. It, okay, it's made in Israel. But the point is, the OU right. would know, I assume. Uh, otherwise, you have to contact me. I'll give you the contacts in Israel. To reach the the abundant over there. I can give so what's the OU's number OU, that I can call? OU's number is two one two. Two one two. Five six three. Five six. Three. Yeah. Four thousand. Four zero zero. But you're gonna have to wait a while, and you say I must speak to the rabbi who is responsible for this hashgacha, and then mm-hmm. and then he will, they will get put. They'll get you to somebody, and that person mm-hmm. 
either knows or could find out the answer to your question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank I appreciate that. Thank you for calling. We have another caller. Okay, before we get the... the board other, is full. Okay, what? The board is full? Oh, but I have to just give me one minute then, please. I see we didn't get to the other topic, but let me just take one minute to talk about our good friends at Glotmart, which is conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M. When you think of Glotmart, think of price, service, convenience, and quality. And when you shop for a few items or for a full wagon load, you can save plenty of money by shopping at Glotmart. Now, right now on sale at Glotmart are some of the following items. If you want the mangoes in 99 cents, if you're interested in the J2 eight slice regular pizza, $6.99. And um, another example would be Beigel's sponge and marble cake, $3.49. And uh, not, uh, the dinner plates are uh, on sale, 100 count. For four thirty nine, that's a plastic. Um, let me give you also what's going to be on sale starting on Wednesday. These are these are some of the sale items: square cut roast eleven ninety nine a pound, veal stew eight ninety nine a pound, middle chuck seven ninety nine a pound, family pack ground veal six ninety nine a pound. These are just some of the sale items that are going to be on sale starting on Wednesday in Glatmart. And at Glatmart, the quality of the meats is A1, with kosher certification from both the Star K and the Vatakashos of Flatbush with base Yosef meats and with expert Nikor. At Glatmart, you're getting quality kashras. Glatmart is at 1205 Avenue M. Meeting your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dove and Glatmart, tell them you heard about Glatmart on Kashras on the Air over J Root Radio. And I see the board is lit up over here. And this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashas Magazine. And we're taking your calls now. Go ahead, please. You're on Kashas on the Air. Can I help you? Yeah, Rabbi Wickler. I have a question. Do you have to have a special hechshel for the fish besides the fins and the scale? You have to, uh, you have, to have a separate what? Hechshel. Hechshel? It's a separate hechshel? Yeah. You... So, because, no, the question, why don't I ask the question? Because what happened if. Are we allowed to eat a dead fish? Let's see, if you have a, uh, you know, like a fish tank in the house, and one of the fish dead, would you allowed to eat it? One second. If it's a scale and phineas, why not? Anything fish that has fins and scales. You have to learn this thing. It doesn't take very long, but you do have to learn it. If you never have anything to do with fish, go into a fish store and they'll, they'll educate you. Any fish that has scales, just scales, is yeah. kosher. It's kosher. If it has scales, the only thing is that sometimes scales, the kinds of scales that are not kosher, but those kind of scales are they're very hard, they never come off, or they fall off in the water. The shyless that there are shyless about scales, but what you see on 99% of the fish, all the fish that you eat, you see scales in the fish store, that means it's a kosher fish. You don't need hashkocha on a fish if you know yourself that it is a kosher fish. So another one. But you're not going to eat your dead fish from the from the fish tank. But you're saying if I had to go fishing in the ocean and I come in with a fish, so you're just going to have to be able to see if the scales came off. I had a story where a boy came to my house. I mean, his father, his grandfather, brought him. He said he doesn't know. He went fishing. He caught a fish. Doesn't know what it is. So I, so he came over to my house. I happen to know all these things. So we, we spent a little while, and we told him that it's, a, that it's a kosher fish. He went home very, very happy. But you have to know it. Have to, otherwise, there's no other way. Okay? Thank you. Thank you very much for calling. Okay, you're on Kashas in the air. Can I help you? 
Yes, hello? Yes, go ahead, please. Yes, I would like to ask a question about the fish gelatin with the meat. Yes, sir. Yeah, um, I have a daughter. I didn't listen to the whole show, but I heard the question. I have a daughter who goes into anaphylactic shock when she eats fish. And we had spoken to our to the doctor, and he had a test, and she can eat the, 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 the marshmallows that come from the fish gelatin. It's not a problem at all for her. Is there any, any ramifications as far as mixing the fish and the meat? No. You see, all, all you, you, know, you, know what, you know, when you have milk, there, there are some people who are what they call lactose intolerant. Right. But there are 32 parts of milk. There are people that are allergic to this part and not to that part. So the, the fact that she's allergic to the flesh doesn't mean that the halacha looks at, or the danger for the, we're talking about saras, which is, I don't even know what that is anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So the, right. whatever the danger is, the, the, the danger may not be the kind of danger that she has. You're saying uh-huh. if that if that were the danger, then then you'd be right. But if that's right. not, and she would be a good proof, maybe. But that's not right. necessarily a danger. We don't know what it is. Okay, thank you very thank much. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it. All right. So we're Shlema. Go ahead. Yes, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hello. Yes, go ahead. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, I want to ask if Isis needs a hechsher. Isis, of course, it needs a hechsher because you got you got flavors in, in there. You definitely need a hashkacha, of course. Where do you see the where do you see it without it? Actually, the, the, the guy comes by in the good humor truck or something. No, you you, you you have to you have to get you have to get with the hechsher. But Baruch Hashem, there are many 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 companies that make kosher ices. You'll enjoy them. Thank you very much. Go ahead. You're on is on the air. Can I help you? Yes. Hello. Um, carrots are not very uh, in now this time of the year. And there's a store here in Borough Park that's selling carrots from Israel. Now, it's not Shemitah this year. So is it a problem buying these carrots? You have to remove trumas and maizras because they don't do it in Israel. You have to know how to take off trumas and maizras. Maybe I'll do a show on it. But right now, I don't advise you to do it because you don't know how to do trumas and maizras. And it would be nice if you sit down with a rub and he gives you a little course on how to take off trumas and maizras. But in some places, like in in the civilized countries, like like in Chicago... They have an organization called the Chicago Binnacle Council, which is a community organization. We have no community organizations in New York. It's a very big town, hundreds of hashkachas, but no community organizations. So, so in a town like Chicago or Baltimore, certainly Chicago, they remove the trumas and mices in the stores. Not every single place, but the ones that are close with them in terms of having kosher products there. One of their functions is to take off trumas and maestros in the store so that you won't have the problem. But here in New York, you've got to do it yourself. Wow. Well, you know, it's interesting that these carrots are so nice looking <laughs> compared to the other carrots. It's one of you know? the best places it's, in the world for carrots. It's yeah. a very big part of their business, is carrots. And they're big, big, the big, big ones. Uh, and definitely uh, a lot of people don't know it. And they're, <laughs> and they're eating those carrots without taking off trumas and maestros. It's very important to check. Thank you for the call. Okay, thank okay. you. Hello, Yaron Kashas on the air. Can I help you? Yes, hello? Yes, go ahead, please. Yes, I want to know if uh, you have to check grapes. I heard maybe you would have to tell them you might have to check them, or maybe... Well, we don't some, check the uh, grapes, because you're not going to be... We're not, we're not going to check the grapes, because you're not going to be able to be... You're not trained to check the grapes. We're going to do a washing. Now, everybody who you'll speak to will give you different... Uh, rules for that washing. 
the rules that were given to me by uh, okay, the rules that were given to me by the people that I'm very close with are as follows. And, and again, there will be other people who will tell you different num- different things. If this is going to take 15 minutes, not 15 minutes for me to tell you. I don't even have that long. But it's going to take 15 minutes for you to do it. But you can do two pounds, five pounds, whatever you want in the same 15 minutes. Uh, you got to take the the grapes in a big cl- they're a big cluster right now. Break them into smaller clusters, not teeny weeny. You know, like yeah, you know, I don't know how many grapes is depends the size. But you know, it's a little little smaller clusters. Then put them into uh, water. Add soap to it. Uh, mix it around a little bit for three minutes, three or four minutes, and then take it out. Uh, take them out and put them under the faucet. Each group under the faucet for a second. And then afterwards, repeat the whole thing again two more times. Three, four minutes in water, and then washing it off, and then three, four minutes in the water, and then washing it off again, and then you're ready, good to go, and don't check. Okay, how about uh, blueberries? Are blueberries, blueberries at the present time, we are not get, giving a go-ahead on the blueberries. Like, again, I, okay. I, I have, I, you have to have Rachmanis on me. I... I just, we took an advertisement and it had blueberries in it. We were discussing it. We said, let's say it's artificial. I don't know. It, it's a little bit crazy. Uh, but the problem is like this. Blueberries, if I gave hashkocha, I could give hashkocha on blueberries. But I would have to do my due diligence by checking where we're getting them from, by making sure that they're clean, by checking a very large segment to make sure that they're really clean, by cutting open a bunch of them, make sure there's no maggots inside. And then by that time, I can make a chazaka and I can give hashgacha on it. But when you buy blueberries, you're just buying a little uh, pint size and there's nobody backing it. And today they're buying it from one place and tomorrow they're coming, they're coming from another country. And you, you really have no control. And since there is a problem, so we, at this present time we say we're not advising blueberries. You may find blueberries in stores, when they make uh, like uh, make baskets of uh, you know the, the, uh, fruit fruit salads, or, you know big uh, fruit uh, fruit platters, you might find blueberries in there, or maybe even strawberries. I don't know. You might find these things because the kashrus agency that gives us over there does a lot of work on it, but it's not something that's easy for us to do, and I don't advise it to anybody at the present time. I know we're giving up something. I know that's a little bit, that's the mysterious nefesh of being a frumiyid. It, it hurts a little bit. I feel for everybody. I'm also in it. But I feel that this is the right way. Thank you for the call. You're on Kasha's on the air. Can I help you? Yeah, hello? Yeah, go ahead, please. Um, um, I, ha- I have two questions. Okay. But my first question is, what, what's, the problem, uh, what's the problem with strawberries? The problem with strawberries... You got to, you know, the problem with strawberries is that there are bugs inside the strawberry that come out, walk around, go back in again, come out again, go back in again. They're, they're living in there. If you pick up a, 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 a little pint of uh, strawberries in the store, I could show you actual bugs on them. So since there are so many of these bugs, it's a significant amount, it's very hard to wash them and to clean them. And we haven't been able to say that the, egg, the regular person like you and me could do it properly. 
So they, we were advising either you shave off the whole outside and just take the, the, the inside of the, uh, of the strawberry, which means you have to have a very large strawberry and, and, and make yourself crazy cutting it up, which I, I don't do anymore. It just took too long. And, uh, or else you're going you're, you're gonna to just uh, buy ones that are frozen and uh, you're going to be able to, uh, uh, to crush them up and, and, and make a, make, put them into uh, uh, ices or something like that. But there are some companies. We had a, somebody who on the radio not too long ago where they make it in another country. They make uh, strawberries and they bring it in here. It's frozen and it's a very good uh, level of, of, of cleanliness. But again, that's something they can control. If you would see the process, and I, it's very, very involved. We cannot duplicate that in our houses. Okay? Thank you very much for calling. You got a second Dennis, question or not? I have, I have one more question. Go ahead. Um, would you be able to tell me if there's, if there's a, a hexer on, on, on... I can't hear it. I didn't hear what you said. It was that... You heard something? Hello? Uh, go ahead, please. Would, would you be able to tell me if there's a hexer on a certain product? What is it? The soda stream... Um, I don't know. If you, if you don't see it on the package, then why should we assume it's there? No, I, I don't have the actual package. I well, have you have to look in the store for the symbol, and you have to discuss it with your father, your mother, your Rebbe, and ask them what they say about this hashkocha. But I can't tell you now, when we're just on the radio, but if you call me up, up at the office sometime and you have a question, you can reach me at the office, 718 336 8544. Thank you very much for listening. Go ahead. You're unconscious on the air. Can I help you? How are you, Rabbi Wickler? Baruch Hashem. Quick question for you. Um, in regards to beer, there's such a big variety. These are like the Americans, the smaller companies, the IPAs, anything yeah. that's made in America. Would right. that be good or everything is a hasher? Okay. Now, we just had a beautiful story on the latest things in beer. I can't do it all on, on, on two seconds on the show. In our, on our current issue, the July issue, which is out now, you can you can find it in, uh, in in some of the stores. I know it's in I know it's in pomegranate, and uh, and I know it's uh, be going into the stores next week. The regular stores, it'll be in a lot of places next week, and hopefully it'll be mailed uh, or was mailed already. So you any day you're going to get it if you have a subscription. So in that book, we have a very detailed thing about the latest things in beers. But let me just tell you the the approach that the cashless agencies have. They say microbreweries, that ones that do small productions, need to be uh, analyzed. And unless a cashless agency tells you you could go and shop there, you can use their stuff, you can't use it. Because they're, they're doing a lot of beers that are trafe, and they're using the same machinery. So you have to know what the companies, some companies are using kosher, uh, doing only kosher ones, and some companies are doing trafe. So yes, microbreweries are a problem. The position okay. of all the cashless agencies, I'm not a fan of this, but the position of the cashless agencies are that, that regular uh, beers in the United States don't need Ashkocha. But today's, today the world is changing, and a lot of beers are not regular beers anymore. There's a lot of flavored stuff. But you have to know what you're getting. Okay, I'm Great. sorry I can't do more now, but take a look at the article. Get it. You I, can I, actually I'll, I'll buy the magazine for sure. Thank you very much. Call to. Take care. Yvonne Kash is on the air. Can I help you? Yes, hi. How are you? What? Hello? Yes, go ahead, please. Yes, hi. Okay. 
So I had a question regarding the uh, the Mizanov bread that was spoken about uh, a few calls ago. I missed the uh, the answer. I'm not sure if it was spoken about, but my partner and I were uh, were Syrian, and we uh, we traveled a lot to uh, Williamsburg, Muncie, um, and uh, we always end up in the supermarkets where you have the uh, the bread that uh, it says Mizanov on it, but it looks like clear bread. It's white. It tastes like bread, um, and you know he's always getting it. And I tell him, you know, what are you doing? It's mizanot. But it's, uh, he says, but it says mizanot. Uh, it says, I tell him, it's He says, no, it's mizanot on it. So we don't, we always constantly have this argument, and um, we, we we never come to uh, to an agreement. So what's the uh, the proper uh, procedure when the next time we come to this uh, uh, this issue? Not a simple question, my friend. First of all. The, the 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 main solution is you, you shouldn't come to any machlokas over it, but they, they there there really is not a simple thing. You really have to do more research. What I would suggest is you're not talking about twenty companies. Call one of them that's more famous. In all these stores that you're going into, the from neighborhoods, they're going to have the same breads, and you'll be able to investigate. If you call the kashrus agency that gives hashgacha, they will answer you right away. If you call the company, they might answer you, and maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. But I would ask the cashless agency rather than the, the, the owner of the store because uh, they, they're dealing with the halacha, and it's a bigger issue. It's more, not Nogea, but Dover, et cetera. What, what the, problem is like, the problem is like this. If it's going to taste like a piece of cake, no one's going to buy it. If it's going to taste, it's, they want it to be a bread. They want it more and more and more and more and more like a bread. Right? They want it as close to bread as humanly possible, but they want it to have the juices so they can say the mizonot, have make themselves a little sandwich, and not have to wash and bench and get their, look for water to wash and bench. So that's, that's why they're doing it, and so they're really trying to go as close as they can without cheating. The fact is that most times it really is not mizonos because they don't make, use enough apple juice or whatever it is, because they, because they don't want to. So they call it apple juice. They have water and apple juice, and the apple juice is reconstituted with water in it. It's apple uh, concentrate with water. So most of it's water. My Rebbe says that's, that's, that, that's hamotzi. He, my Rebbe held that almost all of the Mazonas breads are hamotzi. So well, years, uh, years, years ago, uh, we, that's who he told us, and I, I was talking to some of the people who were in the business. And one fellow was very, very honest. He was a very honest man. See, he was there sh- pushing. He, uh, he didn't, wasn't the baker, but he was, his, name, his name was on the bags and he was selling the stuff. So he made them sure they were putting in the apple juice. And he kept saying, put more in, put more in. And he uh-huh. wanted to really be Mizonos. And they said, that's killing it. You know, that is too, was too strong. And there was, this is what went on all the time. Then... We found one of the Ashgachas in Borough Park told me that he discovered that a certain person, he went there and he says, you know, where's your, where's your orange juice, your, uh, the apple juice? You say it's his own note bread here. Where's your apple juice? He said, apple juice, it's in the garbage. We threw it out of it. We cleaned it up, put it in. He said, yeah, let me see, whatever. And they couldn't, she couldn't find it, and he couldn't find it because they really weren't using apple juice. They were just oh, wow. saying it. Oh, wow. So he said to them, I caught him. He caught him. He said, tell me why... 
how one is called Mazonas and one is called is called Hamotzi? He says people want different things. So I put some in the Mazonas thing, some in the. All right, I want to say something in Japanese. <laughs> For the Sephardim, is very clear. Yeah. The test is what is it's, 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 the test. So I don't say I know that you know even right. with I remember Rabbi Shlomo the uh, pearl that's yeah. all. Zahar, he would say that it's no such thing as Mazonot bread, no such thing. You know, thing. no such a thing. It has to be natila for the Sephardim. It is no question. The Shulchan Aruch said they taste it. If it right. tastes like a cake, it's a cake. Right. If it tastes like bread, it's right. bread. Right, exactly, exactly. That's it. That's the Sephardim way. Yes. And, and Ashkenazim, you know, you have to be honest also. They have to realize that if it tastes like bread, it is bread. Thank you very much uh, for the call. Thank you so much. Thank you. thank you. Let me just mention to everybody, we're ending on another couple of minutes. So I just want to tell everybody that we have the the new magazine with the all the 343 cities to visit across the United States. It's the first U.S. travel guide, a Jewish travel guide that's been produced in the last 19 years for across the United States. 19 years ago, there was a there was a lady who did a, a magazine called Traveling uh, Jewish in America, and we've been over the years doing article doing every year an annual on the, the different cities travel log. Now we're up to 50 states. All the states are included in this issue. 343 cities. It's over 108 pages. If you want to get it, you can buy it in new stores, new stands, bookstores, whatever. And if you're going to get a subscription or buy a copy from us, the number is 718-336-8544. As we mentioned last week, I'm ready to give away free this issue if you subscribe. And you can always but later on and say, I don't really like the magazine at all. I don't mind. But uh, we, we want you to get started with this issue. It's our, the best issue of the year. It's our most uh, sought-after issue. If you want to get a little flavor for it, you can go on our website, which is kashrasmagazine.com. And if you want to see the book, it's now for sale on Amazon. Of course, twice the price of what I sell it for, but it's on sale now at Amazon.com. It's called the 2016, or actually they don't put the 2016, it's the Kosher Travel Guide 2016 on Amazon, and we call it 2016 Kosher Travel Guide. Please uh, join us next week for the continuation of this show, The Kashrus on the Air. Until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine.